Cassini mission update from Saturn, this week on Planetary Radio. Welcome to the travel show that takes you to the final frontier. I'm Matt Kaplan of the Planetary Society. The Cassini Project scientist Linda Spilker returns with the latest news from our only spacecraft at Saturn. It's healthy and still doing marvelous science, but will budget cuts take it down after 14 years in space? Lots more for you on today's episode, beginning with the Planetary Society blogger, Emily Lakdawalla. Emily, several things to talk about this week, including, apparently, your uh, premier performance as part of a NOVA, but we'll get to that in a moment. How about, first of all, the uh, the image of the week? Uh, what are you going to pick from Cassini? Well, I think that my favorite one that I put together this week was from the flyby that Cassini did of Enceladus on October 1st. As Cassini gets close to Enceladus, Enceladus goes into Saturn's shadow, so it goes into eclipse, which makes it tough to take photos, but it's great for taking heat readings. Then as Cassini recedes from Enceladus, Enceladus leaves Saturn's shadow, and so you get to see it come out of eclipse and kind of have a strange kind of sunrise as the sun is going through the uppermost levels of Saturn's atmosphere and, and getting a little bit brighter and a little bit brighter than pop you see Enceladus. But this one was particularly cool because Titan is distant in the background. Let's uh, go a little bit closer to home. Apparently you're uh, impressed with the things that Japanese engineers are still managing to do with their solar sail. Those guys are so creative. And, you know, for once, it's a spacecraft that's operating perfectly. So they're actually doing things that might break it, which is kind of <laughs> the reverse of what usually happens with Japanese missions. But this is Icaros. It's their solar sail demonstration mission. It's an interesting one where its sails were deployed and are stabilized by centrifugal force. The, the spacecraft has to rotate to keep the sails flat and uh, maneuverable. They actually shifted the direction of rotation. They spun it down and had to pass through a moment where it was not spinning at all and then spin it back up in the opposite direction. When you think about the fact that the whole spacecraft is stabilized by centrifugal force, stopping your spinning just sounds like a really crazy thing to do. And yet they managed to pull it off and the spacecraft is still operating well. Unfortunately, it doesn't have long because it's almost out of maneuvering fuel and it does need maneuvering fuel in order to be able to keep its spin stabilized. So we're probably going to be hearing the last of Icaros in, in a few weeks or a couple months. We got to get to this Nova. I don't know how many people saw it. I'm going to talk with Bruce about it too. Very beautiful animations, I think, were the real stars of finding life beyond Earth. This two-hour Nova, which is was quite spectacular and quite a uh, roster of uh, all-star planetary scientists as well, but you're represented in there too. Yeah, I, in fact, produced a few of the animations of Cassini images that they used in the second hour of the program. And if you watch the closing credits go by super fast on these things, but I, I understand that I and the Planetary Society am mentioned in the in the closing credits. I think it's going to be up on the uh, NOVA website if you missed it on PBS. It's well worth watching. Thank you, Matt. Emily Lakdawalla, budding starlet, is the Science and Technology Coordinator for the Planetary Society and a contributing editor to Sky and Telescope magazine. Up next... The executive director of the Planetary Society, the planetary guy, Bill Nye. Bill, you apparently beat me to New Mexico by about a week. What were you doing there? I was invited to the Air Force Research Lab at Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque, New Mexico, in the U.S., and I saw the laboratory, the shop, where they formed the booms, as we say on a sailboat that hold up the sails, the booms for our solar sail spacecraft. And I met Jeremy, the extraordinary young engineer who has ways to store strain energy in these spacecraft deployment systems. And it's quite elegant. I mean, this 
the solar sail boom fits in a very, very small package. And uh, it deploys very smoothly. And this is where they do this work. Great. And you saw some other cool stuff there. Oh, man. Oh, Matt. I stood in the uh, directed energy beam for a denial, area denial system. So this beam of three millimeter wavelength energy hits you and it feels like certain areas of your skin, like these, these unpredictable patches, feel like they're on fire. Uh, and you just jump out of the beam. I mean, you can't stand in the beam for a second and a half and you just jump out of there. And yes, I was there with the director of the directed energy directorate. <laughs> and he could not stand in the beam either. Nobody can. Do they call him Triple D? I didn't hear that. They call him doctor. I see. Actually. Oh, it's quite quadruple D. I see. Yeah, yeah. That would be, yes, <laughs> quadruple D. Of the doctor director of the directed energy directorate. At any rate, that was exciting. It was good to see how these extraordinarily lightweight and stiff booms were made for our spacecraft. I saw a laser that's just um, chlorine and iodine, iodine, and it's so hot. How hot is it? It can burn through metal. Remarkable what they do with directed energy. Now, with all that said, this week, Matt, I will be in Boulder, Colorado, in the U.S., at the Students for Exploration and Development of Space, the SEDS conference. I'm very much looking forward to that. We really want to engage young people at the Planetary Society so we can get more young people involved in the extraordinary time in which we are living, in which we are exploring the planets. We're discovering planets around other stars, and we want young people to be a part of us. Space brings out the best in us, Matt. It's just a great week. Bill, I am so glad to catch you in between trips. Go get them. And thanks for joining us once again on Planetary Radio. Thank you, Matt. He is the executive director of the Planetary Society, the science and planetary guy. Join us at Saturn in just a few moments. No one has been our guest more often than Linda Spilker, the project scientist for the Cassini mission, still exploring Saturn, its moons, and its beautiful rings. Last March, NASA's highly respected Outer Planets Assessment Group saluted Cassini and its ongoing accomplishments. I did the same in a recent phone conversation with Linda. She spoke to me from her office at the Jet Propulsion Lab. Linda, it is always great to get you back on the show, especially on the 14th anniversary of the launch of your spacecraft. Congratulations. Well, thank you, Matt. I'm very happy to be here. Just incredible that this spacecraft has done and continues to do the magic that it is out there in the Saturnian system. Tell us, first of all, what's the health of the spacecraft? Uh, the spacecraft is in good health. Uh, we have one of the instruments right now that's turned off. It's the, the CAPS instrument, the, the Cassini Plasma Spectrometer. And we turned it off in June. It turns out that uh, we are seeing some problems with the voltages, and we think that perhaps there's a capacitor inside the CAPS instrument that might have shorted out. So to be on the safe side, we turned it off. We're going to study the problem before we resume CAPS operations. But the other 11 instruments and the spacecraft itself are in good health. Absolutely incredible performance. We always talk, of course, about how well the Mars Exploration Rovers, or now Rover, have done over their history on Mars. I think it is easily uh, equaled by this uh, mission into much deeper space. There's much more to talk about. Uh, let's start with that big storm that's, uh, I guess, now uh, petered out. Oh, it, it's just an incredible storm. Call it a, a jaw-dropping showstopper, if you will. <laughs> uh, we first saw this storm on December 5th. 
uh, just luckily saw one of the Cassini images, and it was great because the amateurs jumped on board, and they've really been useful in helping us, uh, fundamental really, in helping us monitor this storm because Cassini isn't always looking at Saturn. It's a huge storm. It's 500 times larger than any other storm that Cassini has seen on Saturn. It's the first storm in the northern hemisphere that we're really seeing the seasons change. It's now spring in the northern hemisphere, and this storm literally erupted, went completely around the planet, and so the tail of the storm wrapped back around with the head, and it appears now to be slowly fading with time. And we saw incredible amounts of lightning, something like 10 flashes per second coming from clouds in this storm region, so it's a really a monster storm. Not only saw this lightning, but uh, heard it as well, at, at least uh, once it was converted to uh, acoustic information. Here's just a sample of that. And we love these opportunities to uh, let the solar system talk to us on this radio show. So uh, thank you. Please thank your colleagues for that, uh, Linda. Let's move out to Enceladus. Uh, you just had a, a flyby, 99 kilometers above the surface on, on October 1, and got another one coming up? That's right. The October 1st flyby was a very close flyby. In particular, our ion and neutral mass spectrometer was able to get in there and actually taste the jets themselves. And it was really a neat flyby. We lined up the spacecraft to literally fly along one of these giant tiger stripe-like cracks on Enceladus and mm. measure the varying jets and productivity along the plume itself. And this is one of a series of three flybys where we're going to overfly in a very similar kind of orbit, uh, this similar uh, tiger stripe. Let's talk about the rings. Uh, back down to the planet now. I mean, Enceladus has this close relationship with the ring system as well. I bring it up in particular because uh, my colleague, Emily Lakdawalla, who you know well, asked me to ask you, about the compact infrared spectrometer uh, because she was very curious about what it's been able to tell us over the years of the mission about the ring particles. Right. Well, that's the instrument I actually work with and work with the ring science team. And it turns out we've been monitoring with the composite infrared spectrometer, or SEERS as we call it for short, the temperature of the rings starting early in the mission where the sun was high up over the rings through equinox where the sun was edge on. And it's been fascinating to watch the evolution of those temperatures. And basically when the sun was edge on to the rings at equinox, the rings cooled to the coldest temperatures we've yet measured to date. And so cold that, that it was like the sun had been turned off and the only heat source left was the planet itself. And so we got a chance to see what the rings look like with just Saturn providing the heating. And we could tell that because when we looked at the rings in the shadow of Saturn, they had the same temperature as when they came out of the shadow and would be what we'd call on the noon uh, side of the rings. So it was just a fascinating time, and we're learning more by these studies of if you could take a ring particle and hold it in your hand, you know, what would it look like? Would it be a fluffy snowball, a hard-packed ice ball, or or maybe something in between? And so this is a, a really good way to get at some of the physical characteristics of the ring particles. Yeah, Emily is obviously uh, very anxious to hear uh, uh, exa about these continuing observations as, uh, as basically, uh, what, the northern, uh, the uh, north face of the rings heads into summer? Right, right. The, yes, the sun moved from the south face of the rings to the north face and will continue to move higher. And in fact, uh, the goal of the solstice mission is to go out to 2017, which is Saturn solstice or Saturn northern summer, 
and to observe Saturn for another entire season. What's another six years after 14 years in space? Oh, right, right. (laughs) (laughs) More from Linda Spilker of the Cassini Mission in a minute. This is Planetary Radio. I'm Robert Picardo. I traveled across the galaxy as the doctor in Star Trek Voyager. Then I joined the Planetary Society to become part of the real adventure of space exploration. The Society fights for missions that unveil the secrets of the solar system. It searches for other intelligences in the universe, and it built the first solar sail. It also shares the wonder through this radio show, its website, and other exciting projects that reach around the globe. I'm proud to be part of this greatest of all voyages, and I hope you'll consider joining us. You can learn more about the Planetary Society at our website, planetary.org radio, or by calling 1-800-9-WORLDS. Planetary Radio listeners who aren't yet members can join and receive a Planetary Radio t-shirt. Our nearly 100,000 members receive the internationally acclaimed Planetary Report magazine. That's planetary.org radio. The Planetary Society, exploring new worlds. Welcome back to Planetary Radio. I'm Matt Kaplan. Our guest, as she has been many times before, is Linda Spilker, project scientist for Cassini at Saturn. While she oversees all science activity for the mission, Linda's own work focuses on the great planet's beautiful and still somewhat mysterious rings. While we're talking about the rings, i got to bring up an image that is certainly a favorite of uh, my boss, the science guy, Bill Nye. He uses it in, I think, all of his presentations around the country. Uh, And that is, it's a beautiful shot of the planet and the rings. But then he pops up a little arrow that has this, uh, if you'll pardon the expression, pale blue dot. Yes, it's one of my very favorite images, and it's something only a spacecraft could, could get an image of. What is, it's a series of pictures taken by the cameras where the sun is covered up by Saturn. And so what that allows you to do is, is to see anything in the system, any dusty, tiny particles, suddenly become very bright. If you've ever had a dusty windshield and you drive toward the sun, you'll notice it suddenly gets very hard to see as those tiny, dusty particles light up and send photons into your eyes. In the same way, we captured this image. And usually we can't get a picture of the Earth with Cassini because the Earth is just too close to the sun and would damage the cameras and other instruments. But with Saturn working as a fantastic sun shield, it gave us the opportunity to capture not only the Saturn system with all of its rings visible, including the E-ring, G-ring, and the main rings, but as you said, we saw this pale blue dot, which is the Earth. And if you look at it closely, you'll notice it's not quite perfectly spherical, but it has like a little lump off on one side. We're actually seeing the Earth plus the moon (laughs) in that particular image. A family photo from a family uh, portrait yes. <laughs> from the orbit of Saturn. It it would be a stunningly gorgeous image even without that added attraction. But it's nice to see a, a bit of home there hiding out. Oh, absolutely. Do you have anything that you want to add about uh, a Titan? I mean, uh, your spacecraft has certainly revealed far more about that big moon than we ever knew before. You know, what we're interested in seeing now as the seasons change and the sun is now going up into the northern hemisphere. We're really curious to see what might be happening with those lakes. Uh, with the radar instrument, we discovered a large number of lakes, one of them actually a large sea. And so as the seasons change, do these lakes start to evaporate? Does the liquid methane perhaps migrate to the South Pole where it's colder and is now becoming winter, uh, fall than winter? So what's going to be happening with those lakes on Titan? And of course, with the radar instrument, we continue to map out sections of Titan 
we haven't yet seen at, in detail with the radar, as well as just continue to study and better understand uh, Titan as a whole. You know, here's a moon with a thick, dense atmosphere, mostly nitrogen, but with methane and other organic compounds, uh, kind of a prebiotic Earth. And as we gather more data, especially as the seasons change, we're starting to get a better understanding of this very unique world. Certainly these lakes and the other revelations about Titan, about which we knew so little prior to Cassini, are going to be one of the lasting great achievements of, uh, of this mission. What else is ahead? And then I hope you can also say something about just the outlook for uh, the mission itself. I mean, we are in very tough budget times across the federal government. That's right. Well, uh, Cassini right now is in a series of equatorial orbits, and that gives us a chance to have additional Enceladus flybys coming up in the next few months. It's also, if you're a Saturn scientist, a good time to study the planet because, as a Saturn scientist might say, those pesky rings are out of the way, <laughs> and you can get uh, measurements of the full disk of that, Saturn. That wouldn't be you saying that, though. No, no, it wouldn't be me, but uh, that's what the Saturn scientists might say. And in particular, we've, we've seen a couple of small flare-ups in the, the latitude of the storm. There's been a little bit more lightning detected, uh, per, you know, a little bit more of the storm. And so it'll be interesting to keep watching and see if perhaps we see another storm, mm. perhaps at the same latitude, uh, perhaps in a different region of the planet. So are you getting uh, hit by all the red ink in D.C.? Well, Matt, uh, NASA's Planetary Science Division recently provided Cassini with uh, some new budget guidelines that actually represent significant cuts to our solstice mission budget. Mm. And this is unfortunate because uh, the Cassini budget was cut by one-third already in the last two years for the Solstice Extended Mission. And now we're being asked to cut our budget again. And in one case, the requested cut is actually more than we've already cut previously. And we mm -hmm. had really cut back to what we thought was the minimum to do a, a successful mission. And it's, it's tough for me personally because here we have a, a healthy flagship spacecraft with 11 of 12 instruments operating, taking great synergistic science on Enceladus and Titan and Saturn. And now we're being asked to throttle back the science that we collect and analyze. But to put this in context, uh, the Planetary Science Division has received a, a $1 billion cut over five years in their budget. And so they have some tough choices to make. Does the Planetary Science Division continue to fund active, healthy flying missions like Cassini, or do they have to delay the start of new missions, or do they have to do something else? So clearly there's a number of very tough choices to make, and uh, with a flagship mission like Cassini, it would probably be, I think, decades before we'll get back to the Saturn system with a flagship quality uh, mission with so many instruments and, and so much capability. And so for me personally, it's tough to think about having to throttle back when we're kind of at our prime. We've sort of hit our stride and really collecting good data to have to, uh, to throttle back our mission. I just would like to personally thank the public for their enthusiastic support, uh, both of NASA, the flying planetary missions, and also of Cassini, and just to encourage them to continue to support and follow Cassini. Well, I don't think you'll find a more sympathetic or friendly audience uh, than the one that listens to Planetary Radio, Linda, and I'm sure that uh, 
there. Uh, they share my concern about uh, what you've expressed. And, of course, we do want to mention that uh, you're speaking only for yourself, not for JPL or Caltech uh, or, uh, for that matter, NASA. But uh, I, I suspect that uh, you're not the only person there or listening to this program who uh, would be concerned about seeing this mission not continue to deliver the, the level of amazing science that it uh, has given us over the past uh, many years. Yes. Thank you so much, Linda. It is, as I said, always a pleasure, and I look forward to the next opportunity to talk. Thanks, Matt. It's been a pleasure. Linda Spilker is the Cassini Project Scientist at the Jet Propulsion Lab. Uh, she has been with that mission for decades. And as you heard, as we uh, as we talked, we were celebrating, and she is celebrating. Did you say everybody's wearing their Cassini shirts today? That's right, Cassini shirts, and we've brought in, and we're going to have a little party to celebrate the 14 years since launch. Well, have a great time. <laughs> Congratulations great. once again. I will be right back. We'll do a little celebrating of the rest of the solar system and perhaps beyond with Bruce Betts, this week's edition of What's Up. Back in Bruce Betts' office at the Planetary Society headquarters, ready to tell you about the night sky and this edition of What's Up and give away a really cool book, The Beauty of Space. The Beauty of Space. I saw The Beauty of Space last night. Did you watch, first of all, hello. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't see any of that Nova last night, the search for life in the no. universe or solar system or whatever. Really cool. I mean, the animation was just beautiful. It was just full of animation. They must have used the one of the Mars-sized uh, body hitting the uh, ancient Earth, the proto-Earth, like 10 times because it was just so cool. <laughs> it was very cool. We need to do more animation on this show. Okay. You know, I've, I actually have done some. Have you? Yeah, let me show it to the listeners right now. Good. Okay, is this like the collision? Like that? There you go, yeah. All right. What do you think? I need, it needs sound. It needs something like when they collide like this, it has oh. to, you have to hear, boom. No, like this. <laughs> what? <laughs> when it Earth, works, right? When Proto-Earth was hit by a giant egg. <laughs> A giant spitwad, I think. <laughs> An organic spitwad. Jupiter's out there with a giant straw just shooting stuff. Okay, you know the other thing it had, almost right from the beginning of the show? Chris McKay, close-up, extreme close-up of his eyes. I'm telling you, he is so dreamy. Wow. <laughs> you don't know what to say. We should just end the segment yeah. now. What's up? I, there's no way... <laughs> Nowhere higher. I okay. We, we can't so up. in the sky, uh, Jupiter. Jupiter looking dreamy in the night sky, <laughs> super bright over in the east. Uh, Star-like object. Can't miss it. Check it out with some binoculars or a small telescope, and you can see the uh, moons as they go from one side to the other over the course of multiple nights. Also in the evening sky, uh, go find a finder chart and uh, pull out. Probably a telescope, maybe binoculars. Check out Uranus and Neptune, both out there uh, in the south-southeast in the mid-evening. Uh, but you will need some type of device or a good imagination to see them. And we've got uh, Mars hanging out in the pre-dawn sky high overhead coming up uh, around midnight, a little after midnight in the east. Let us go on to this week in space history. It was... This week, in 1977, that the fifth and final glide test of the Space Shuttle Enterprise occurred. 
dropping it off 747. Uh, it was this week in 2004 that Cassini had a flyby of Titan. Huh. Now, what is seven years later, it's still doing awesome science. How wonderful in light of our guest today, Linda Spilker. Well, yeah. Five years ago, the Stereo spacecraft were launched. This, of course, confusing because the plural of spacecraft is spacecraft. There, too, <laughs> in leading and trailing Earth orbit, uh, checking out the sun in stereo. Yo, 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 yo. Also still turning out great data. Random space fact. Oh, that's good. That's great. I want to see a big Dodge Charger jumping over a ditch or something. Okay. <laughs> Daisy, have I got a space fact for you this week? The uh, 75 to 90 kilowatts of power for the International Space Station is supplied by almost an acre of solar panels. Gosh. That's about 4,000 square meters for those of you in metric land. Let's move on to the trivia contest before I get any stranger. And before we lose any else. other southern listeners, uh, any more of those. Sorry about that. I apologize for Sorry. my, my father's from the south. Mediocre mm -hmm. southern accent. Uh, it's interesting that there's only one moon in the solar system that is between 2,000 and 3,000 kilometers in diameter. You got a bunch bigger and a bunch smaller. Uh, only one. I asked you what it was. How'd we do? Tremendous response. And you know why? It's because of the prize that we were offering to the winner of this particular contest. It's The Beauty of Space. This beautiful book. It's a paperback copy. Space Art from the International Association of Astronomical Artists. Our guests, uh, what, about three weeks ago now. Uh, John Raymer. Of course, we talked to Don Dixon on that show. There are over 100 artists in their work in the book, about 11 artists signed their works on this copy of the book. That was very cool. And we're going to send it to Michael Bramble. Michael Bramble is our winner this week. He's in uh, Majorville. He says that's how it's pronounced, in New Brunswick, Canada. Congratulations, Michael. We'll put this in the mail to you very soon. Got a lot of other very entertaining uh, uh, comments, though. I mean, people who pointed out, for example, that it was discovered in October of 1846 by Englishman William Lassell, or Lassell. And you know what he actually was? I mean, how he, I guess, found the money to do astronomy in his spare time? Well, I, I do, but only because of our listeners. <laughs> Me too. He was a brewer. John Gallant looked it up in great detail. He made beer. This is the kind of astronomer we need to hang out with. <laughs> <laughs> this is the kind of astronomer that you have to be really careful when you when they present their data. Uh, Georgi Petrov, uh, he did say, yeah, you know, it really is a big weirdo. It's bigger than Pluto. It's retrograde. Oh, yeah, it's totally retrograde. <laughs> uh, it's the only large moon in the solar system that's retrograde. We've random space fact in the past on that. Jonathan Hamill, he sent us a poem. A, a computer-generated poem. So it, it's kind of random. We don't have time to read the whole thing. But I love the last line. It does mention moons, but the last line is, wave calmly like a small pirate. T.S. <laughs> <laughs> Eliot, nice. watch out. <laughs> All right, Matt. I've, I had planned for a trivia question this week to ask people who, how many people named Matt had flown in space. Seriously? Yeah, seriously. Seriously, none. Yeah, I could have told you that. <laughs> now, I can't guarantee middle names, but uh, at okay. least first names, uh, no one no one named Matt. Mm. So I went to the next best thing. Name the people named Bruce who have flown in space. 
Okay. Go to planetary.org slash radio. Tell us who named Bruce flew in space. This is actually physically flying in space, not not just thinking about it. You have until the 31st, Halloween, October 31st at 2 p.m. Pacific time to get us this answer, and you might win yourself a Planetary Radio t-shirt. All right, everybody, go out there, look up the night sky, and think about shirts covered in grid patterns that make your eyes hurt. Thank you. Good night. What do you mean? Look at this pattern. This is my uh, Enterprise. I am. This Ow. is my Enterprise Holodeck shirt. <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't want to see things appearing on your chest. <laughs> He's Bruce Betts, the director of projects for the Planetary Society. He joins us every week here for What's Up. Discovery of the first planet circling two stars. That's next week on Planetary Radio, which is produced by the Planetary Society in Pasadena, California, and made possible by a grant from the Kenneth T. and Eileen L. Norris Foundation and the members of the Planetary Society. Clear skies. Thank you.